Please be seated. Well, good morning. Today is Communion Sunday. Uh, we always share the Lord's Supper at the close of service on the first Sunday of every month. And if you're watching at home, you might want to run and um, get a small piece of bread and some juice or wine to join us in that part. If you didn't get one of the little cups as you came into service this morning, maybe uh, you can stick your hand up and Charlie will bring you one of those. Anybody didn't get one this morning? Okay, we got a few folks. So uh, Charlie will bring those to you. So today on Communion Sunday, we are uh, focusing our study time together on the Lord's Supper. Um, you'll find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you want to turn there and stick your finger in there, we're going to spend uh, some time on that. That text is a little bit lengthy, so we won't be having it up on the board today. Um, we want to pay attention to what this passage is really saying. And uh, so would you pray with me as we begin this morning? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, you are our creator, and through your Son, Jesus, you are our Savior. Jesus is our Lord, and in this ceremonial meal, we see the sacrifice of the cross and your great love for every person on this planet. We want to bring honor to you in your name as we study and as we share together. Lord, open your word to us. For understanding, illuminate the words so that we can see not only the message, but also you revealed in it. We ask that you sanctify us as we enter into this sacred meal. In Jesus' holy name, amen. As I said, you might want to turn to 1 Corinthians 11 and stick your finger in there. We're going to look at a couple of things in the background of that before we jump into that passage. Um, in this passage, if you read it in context, in the context of the chapters that are around it, uh, Paul has been talking to the Corinthian church about matters of worship. And uh, he uses a lot of different analogies, like for example, one that he repeats uh, several times is the analogy of eating and drinking. So back, if you go back to chapter 10, he's talking about idol feasts and the feasts that took place around different temples in uh, the city of Corinth. And uh, of course, some folks thought that it was okay to just continue right along as normal. And, you know, you come to Jesus, but then we just add everything else in there. And so we could continue to go to the pagan feasts and we could continue to do all kinds of things as well as participate in the fellowship meal and the memorial meal of the Lord's Supper in the church. Well, he's pointing out in chapter 10 that, you know, this supper that the pagans do, it is not the same as the feast that we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. In fact, the, the pagan feasts are dedicated to and participating in the sacrifice to demons, he says, while the Lord's Supper is dedicated to and participating in the sacrifice of Christ. And so he says, the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. In other words, all things are not necessarily compatible with Christian faith. So that means we have to make choices. 
We have to choose what we are going to do and what we are going to believe and where we're going to go when we enter into Christian life. And sometimes we have to make some pretty hard choices about that to follow Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, starting at verse 17, Paul picks up this discussion about the Lord's Supper. And, And it's not some common meal, he says. It's something very special. He says to the Corinthian church, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then... Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment upon themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it will not or may not result in judgment." You notice that the more often that you do something, the easier it is to kind of not treat it as special. It's easier easier to to kind of let something drop into the background, to take it for granted, to just kind of go through the motions. You know, we do this ceremonial meal once per month, but in the early church, they did this almost every single time that they got together. And so you can see that, you know, after a while, you know, the expression familiarity breeds contempt. After a while, it could be that they've just sort of not given the special attention that they should be doing and that they're not really thinking about it and taking it in the way that Jesus had intended. Um, As believers, we want to take the Lord's Supper very, very seriously because it represents one of the most important moments in salvation history. It represents Jesus' death on the cross, his sacrifice for our sins in our place so that we could be free. We don't want to go through the motions. And, uh, you know, it's easy to go through the motions and be doing all the right stuff, 
but not really being honoring God in our hearts. It's very easy to dishonor God in our hearts in that way. And so we want to honor our Lord Jesus. Uh, so I, I want to look at three things today from this passage. Uh, first of all, we want to actually go before this passage and remember the simple meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. And then we want to look at the corrupted meal that the Corinthian church was sharing. And we want to talk about our heart attitudes as we approach a very sacred meal. The simple meal, the corrupted meal, and the sacred meal. So I said it by prayer this morning, this is a memorial meal. It looks back to remember something really important. Uh, it's a fact that's very crucial to your faith. And, and then we want to move forward with what we've learned and, and incorporate that in our life and, and head for what God has waiting for us, something very special. Well, I want you to think back for a moment to the very first communion meal, uh, the very first celebration of the Lord's Supper, uh, what we call the Last Supper. The Last Supper is found in all four Gospels, and uh, it's there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John does not uh, have the incorporation of, of the Lord's Supper as we know it, but it talks about all the issues that are related to it. Well, the Last Supper takes place at the Passover meal on what we call, well, we call Monday Thursday, to be very specific. Uh, Jesus knows at that time he's about to be executed by the Romans. He knows that he's not going to be able to share the Passover Seder meal uh, with his disciples on the Sabbath because by the evening of the Sabbath he's going to be dead. And so he decides to celebrate that special meal with his disciples early, a day early. And uh, he gathers them together. The meal uh, itself is something very important to the people of Israel. It, it celebrates the liberation of the Israelites from the Egyptian army and from their slavery. Uh, because Pharaoh would not release Israel, God brought plagues on Egypt. And uh, each time one of these plagues came, Pharaoh promised that he would release them, but as soon as the plague was done, he changes his mind again. Well, the final plague is the most terrible, the death of the firstborn. The angel of death would pass over the nation, and the firstborn in every family would die. A pretty horrible thing. But God told them to do something. He, through Moses, he had them take lamb's blood and put it on the lintel, and put it above the door, and as the angel of death came, he passed over those places that had the lamb's blood, and uh, those people were saved from that fate. So why is this important? Well, think about the components of this. The death of the firstborn was a universal punishment. It would come to everybody's house. But Israel was saved through the sign of of the blood of the Lamb in obedience to God. And of course, later on, when we get back to our study in Revelation, we're going to see Jesus represented by the slain Lamb in the throne room of heaven. But you can see it also in this meal. You know, it's at this very simple meal that Jesus takes a simple cup. And, you know, if there's a, really a holy grail, it isn't going to look like some magnificent cup. It's going to be something pretty simple. This simple cup that Jesus took was a part of the Seder meal, and he blessed it. 
and he gave it new meaning, the wine being the blood of the lamb, of Jesus himself, poured out like the blood sacrifice that was poured out on the altar for the forgiveness of sins. And he took bread that was already on the table and he blessed it and he broke it and he shared it with the people around the table and he gave it new meaning. The bread being the broken body of Jesus. Luke uh, 22 uses a specific word. He says, this is not my body broken for you, my body given for you. This is God's special gift to all of us. So we have a simple meal honoring an important event which came to symbolize the most important event in history. That meal was about their shared history and the fulfillment of a promise of God. Uh, Going forward, it was supposed to be still about their shared history, but But the history had moved from the most important event being the Passover event to the most important event being this other blood that protected them and saved them and brought them eternal life and hope. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. But the Corinthian church messed this up. What was supposed to be a sacred meal kind of started looking like a Mickey D's unhappy meal. You know, it was a a sacred meal and it became junk food. Several years ago, uh, Rick Love wrote a book called Peace Catalysts. And uh, he talked about a time in 2011 when he and his wife, they went to minister at a conference in the Philippines. And he said that, you know, one evening our Filipino host set up over 20 dinner tables end to end with no chairs around them. There were no forks, no spoons, no knives, and a whole assortment of delicious dishes was set out as the centerpiece all the way down the table from one end to the other. They called it a boodle feast. And in the Boodle Feast, they stood across from each other, and they ate with their hands, and they talked together. Apparently, the origin of this feast was uh, within the Philippine Military Academy. And at the academy, they would have these feasts periodically, and it was done as a form of fellowship and camaraderie between officers and ordinary military personnel. All rank and title would disappear, and everybody would be at the same level and they would converse together. Well, it's kind of a nice cultural demonstration. It it shows how a meal can break down walls between us, uh, take away status and power and economics, and just be a meal. Well, maybe that's why Jesus did so much of his ministry around food. You know, in the early church, they practiced what we called, and they called historically, a love feast. Or an agape feast, you might have heard that expression. Uh, This has been a tradition of the Brethren in Christ Church for the past couple of centuries. A simple meal was served, and then it was followed by the Lord's Supper. One thing led very naturally into the other. All differences were supposed to be set aside. We were supposed to focus on what we have most in common, which is Jesus, right? Now, here in the church, we usually do this during Monday, Thursday, or on Monday, Thursday, during Holy Week. We have a a small, simple meal together, and then we have communion immediately following. Uh, 
Well, the Corinthians, they understood this concept. It had been passed on to them. But they corrupted the meal. It became something that it wasn't intended to be. The meal began to look more like a pagan orgy, which is why back in chapter 10, Paul starts talking about those pagan feasts because eventually he was going to come in and say, look, just like them, you're, you're looking like them. You're not looking like God's church. He says, there are divisions among you instead of unity. And he said, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And then as a result, some are hungry and other people get drunk. Uh, many years ago at a church long ago and far away in a different galaxy, uh, we had a church picnic. And uh, we were part of a church that had some very wealthy people, but also had some people who were living really close to the edge of poverty. Well, as we laid out the food in our pavilion uh, for us to share for lunch together, one family stayed apart. They, they went over about 10 or 15 feet away from the pavilion and they set out a, a nice big cloth on the ground and put a picnic basket down and I think my eyes must have bugged out as I saw what they were taking out of the basket. Like more and more and more food kept coming out. I mean, there were, there were T-bone steaks, there was a, a, a nice bottle of wine, there was just all kinds of stuff coming out of that basket and they were keeping completely separate from us. The only explanation they gave was, we don't like hamburgers. Well, I'll never forget one of the poorest members of our church was sitting at a, a table that was very close to that end of the pavilion. And, and, and I saw him look over at what they were eating with real longing in his eyes, you know? And, and he had this look on his face that was just perplexed. And he shook his head and he said, it must be nice. And then he went back to eating his burger. But you could tell, you could see the look on his face it was embarrassing in, in many ways, and it was crushing in other ways because this wasn't what this was all about. We were gathered together to be together at the same level. And, and it kind of broke my heart to see that happen, you know? This is what Paul is talking about when he's talking to the Corinthian church on a much larger scale. People brought what they had to share. Some people had a lot of stuff, but they shared it or they were supposed to. And some people had little, and it could be that there were members of that church who had almost nothing at all. But some who had plenty ate and drank on their own, and they didn't share, and some pigged out while others went hungry. And the wealthy got drunk. I can hardly imagine that. Can you imagine getting drunk before a communion service? Can, can you imagine getting drunk, you know, at a, at a fellowship meal gathered together? Paul says, whatever it is you're doing, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. It's not. They were humiliating those people who had nothing or little. And... It's really against everything the church is supposed to stand for. It was against everything that Jesus stood for. You know, Jesus spoke about poor, uh, the poor and, and about justice issues for the poor 
over 300 times. 300 times in just the Gospels. Paul looks at this situation and he's disgusted. He says, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Further down in verse 27, he says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. When we gather for this special meal, we need to examine our hearts. We need to take a good look inside. We need to look at our motives, our intentions. We need to think about whether or not we're even in fellowship with Jesus. We need to think about our relationships with other people. You know, historically in the Brethren in Christ Church, uh, it, there are many times in communion, and I saw it myself at different times over the years, when we would come to have a communion service, people would get up and go across and ask forgiveness from somebody else because they, they realized that this vertical relationship with God had a huge impact on our horizontal relationship with each other. And when one wasn't right, often it was true that the other wasn't right. And so it's not just about getting right with God. It's also about getting right with one another. Jesus made a very simple meal, and he gave it a very special meaning. And the Corinthians made it a corrupted meal. But we're called to observe it as a sacred meal. The Apostle Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You keep alive the meaning of the sacrifice of Christ for each generation, for for among us and in each generation until Jesus returns, whenever that is. That could be imminent. could be before the end of this service. Or it might be a few years yet. But we expect the return of Jesus. And this is how we honor God in, in the church, in the fellowship, as we wait for him. This is the real deal meal. It's not a happy meal or an unhappy meal. Notice how these and I find this ironic, these very beautiful words that are, are written here that we use in almost every communion service that we have. In fact, most Christians uh, have used this same group of words all the way back to the first century. And notice how it comes in the middle of a negative passage. It's unusual, isn't it? 
It comes from a passage of rebuke. It comes from a passage that says, this is how you don't celebrate the Lord's Supper. See, the church was failing. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Our failures are not without hope and without the opportunity to change. Corinthian church had its opportunity, and we know from history, did change radically by the time we get to the revelation of John. In a moment, we're going to have time for a silent prayer, and and this is your opportunity to talk to God. Um, Maybe when you examine yourself, you're going to find that, well, you're not where you really should be with God. This is a, a great time to ask forgiveness. It's a good time to renew your relationship with Jesus and to be fully restored to fellowship and, and to show that by participating in the meal that we're sharing together. Maybe you've forgotten what the meal is all about. You know, it's all about Jesus, right? And it's all about his love for you. And he loved you so much that he gave you this very special gift, the gift of his own life. Maybe you've never really known Jesus as your Savior. This is a very good time to meet him personally. I encourage you to do it today. You know, in this year of all years that we've been through in our lives, we have no idea what's coming next. Better to be ready now. We're going to pray now. And uh, I want to give you a few moments to talk to God on your own. And then we're going to come together and, and share the Lord's Supper. Father God, we prepare our hearts by surrendering them to you. Hear our silent prayers and raise us up with you. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. I give my heart fully to you. I surrender my will to your will. Forgive my sins. Restore me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to live for you always. I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.